And welcome back to Rush the Field. As I was saying, these these conference games are weird. It's like the ACC's got 11 games. The SEC has 10 games they're going to play. The Big 12, 10 games. The Big 10, 8. And the Pac-12, 7. Now, we've seen what happened in the NFL this week. The Titans and the Steelers game is going to be canceled. So they're going to figure out when to play that because you got to play it. It's not like you can do double headers. Um, it's not like you do double headers like you do in baseball. And so you got to find a way to squeeze these games in. And the bottom line is with the AC or the Pac-12 starting in November and with the Big 10 starting late, there's no window. Like the ACC and Big 12 have a little wiggle room where they can they can have some bye weeks where you could feasibly move the game to those weekends. But you're out of time, man. If you start to remember, because these games are literally packed every weekend without bye weeks up until December 20th or December 19th was they play them. The final votes in college football is December 20th to uh, to get the uh, the college football playoffs. Matter of fact, the first rankings come out Tuesday, November 24th at six o'clock. Then December 1st. Then December 8th. December 15th. To keep in mind, most of those championship games are done by around the. Uh, the first week of December anyway, but they pushed it back this year. And the final votes are uh, selections are done December 20th. So you got to hurry that up. Now I will say this. There's one thing those conferences are doing. That I think is a good thing. And at the end of the year, like the conference championship game, obviously when the two sides of the brackets, team one will go against team one on the other side, like East West, those type of bracket type deals they have. But then number two will play number two. Number three will play number three. So everybody will play a final game, and you'll basically play your counterpart um, from across the bracket on who you're going to play in those games. But I I just think if you look at it, and I I don't know what those meetings are going to be like, there's going to be complete chaos this year when it comes to saying we're better than you because what they're going to have to go by is by reputation of your program. They're going to be looking at television eyes. We're going to be looking at, but we need to put, go ahead and put, well, here's the thing, Alabama and Clemson. (laughs) Since this thing started, they've both been the five out of six college football playoffs. And if they're undefeated, you got to put them in. You got to put them in. So who's your other teams? You going to go Ohio State? Ohio State was one of the top three team in the country this year coming into the season, but not now because of COVID. And, uh, and, so, but they're gonna—they're not even ranked yet, or the Pac-12, but they will be ranked here coming up soon. But I'll tell you, is if you don't have those games, because coming out, I go out in, in June and get those preseason football magazines and the college football ones. I always look forward to matchups. One of the matchups I was looking forward to this year was a team that I considered maybe a contender is Oregon, Oregon, Ohio State. You're going to get great matchups in the non-conference, but we're not going to see those. But the but the the NCAA not being willing to go to, not the NCAA, it's a college football playoff committee, it's different. Going to eight teams instead of four, to me, is just ridiculous. Joining us now on the line, John Kurtz, program director, K-Man in Manhattan, Kansas, also does Faithful to Our Colors podcast on the 435 Podcast Network. It's great stuff for K-State fans. Give him a follow on Twitter, at JL Kurtz. John, good evening. What's up, Bink? How are you doing, man? Oh, just going off on the college football playoff committee, not expanding to eight teams because you're going to have teams playing seven games, eight games, ten games, nine. It's a joke. Well, let me step in and say that 
if a Big Ten team gets in while playing five or six games, whatever that may wind up being, because it seems unlikely, right, based on the track record of college football so far this year, that you're going to get eight games in eight weeks, I will be livid. I will be very serious. I'm a resident Big Ten hater. Uh, a little too pompous and arrogant for me, so I will be very upset if, uh, if that doesn't do that. I'm with you. In Pac-12, only seven teams. I mean, <laughs> seven games. So come on, man. I mean, I, you got to do it, man. You got to get up play these games. But John, uh, big news in Manhattan. Obviously, they were they were the local team. There might not be a better team win locally uh, this year than what we saw from K State. First time a win against a top five opponent on the road. Three K State players. Uh, the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve players of the week, Deuce Vaughn, newcomer, offensive player of the week, Skylar Thompson, who was unbelievable, and J. Ron McPherson, eleven tackles, the defensive player of the week. But I don't know how you felt watching this game. Uh, obviously, you know, watching the Arkansas State game, you kind of try to piece together. All right, what kind of team are we going to be looking at this year? They fall down twenty-eight to seven to Oklahoma. And you might think a non-strong-willed team may not look forward at that point. That was the most impressive thing to me to Kansas State is coming back, tying the largest comeback deficit. But it was the furthest they went into a game to have that deficit come back. What an incredible game. Yeah, it was a game that, that took some guts. I mean, that, that to me for so many reasons showed how the guts and the grit that this team has because – yeah, within the context of the game, they fall behind by 21 in the second half. Not once, but twice. That was the thing to me. They get it to 28-14. to 14, You have this explosive play with Deuce Vaughn, and you think, okay, if there's going to be a comeback, it's going to be on the back of that. Well, two minutes and 14 seconds later, Oklahoma was in the end zone again. And you're down by 21, and it's 35-14 to 14, midway through the third quarter. I mean, I'm basically checking out at that point of any thought of a win and trying to go through what my postgame routine is going to be for the loss and storyline. And from then on, K-State played just about a perfect game. Um, and then in the context of the season, you think about the, the toughness and grit that it takes to accomplish that comeback after you lost your first game at home to a team from the Sun Belt in Arkansas State and shouldered all these jokes for both you and the conference after the first week. I mean, that really showed me something that this team has. And you lump in the fact that K-State was playing a skeleton crew in the secondary. I mean, Echo Boydo is a Lawrence kid that started at corner for K-State He's been in the program for three years. I, to be honest with you, I had never heard one word about him pushing for playing time. Um, certainly had not played meaningful snaps in his K-State career. And he went out there and was more than fine as a starter at corner against Oklahoma's receivers. Um, that was the kind of day K-State had. They had a lot of players pulling together. I think it really helped to have Khalid Duke and Jerron McPherson back on defense. Those guys didn't. They played a combined one series in the Arkansas State game. So that really hurt the defense. And then Skyler Thompson, man, he is as gritty as they come at quarterback. You can say what you will about his skill set, but uh, he seemed to really will K-State to, to win the game on offense. No, he really did. And, you know, you think about Kansas State this year and kind of the challenges they've had. I, I, uh, I honestly think these coaches will look back in 20 years and think about 2020 and all the challenges it presented. Getting through this year, uh, you can get through anything coaching college football. But all brand-new offensive line this year for Kansas State. Uh, the five depleted members in the secondary early on for this team. But look at some of the positives, man. You and I have been talking about this guy. The deuce is loose, man. Deuce Vaughn. Not very big. What, five, 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 six at that? And eight carries, 45 yards and a touch. Four catches, 129 yards. Small in size, but tough to bring down. Yeah, I mean, he is. 
as exciting as anybody I've seen at K-State in years. I, to me, we've been talking about this this week around here, he is the most explosive, exciting skill position player K-State has had since Tyler Lockett left in, in 2014. Now, some of that is K-State has not had very good skill talent, quite frankly, over the last five or six years. Um, but he's made that kind of an impact for two games in his career. I mean, I was listening to Matt Wells, the Texas Tech head coach, on the Big 12 conference call earlier this week, and he was asked about K-State. First words out of his mouth were number 22. <laughs> uh, Deuce Vaughn has gone to the top of the scouting report two games into his college career as a true freshman. Um, it's just unbelievable. I mean, and you know that he has the speed like that you saw in the 77-yard catch-and-run that almost went for a touchdown when he, when he caught like an angle route out of the backfield. But the thing that impressed me, it was, there was a third-down conversion where he had a 20- or 30-yard catch-and-run where he broke a couple of tackles, bounced off another guy, like showed legitimate strength, and that's something that you wouldn't expect out of somebody his size. I mean, I think the sky is the limit for him, not just because of his physical ability, but I will continue to say it. He is as mature as any freshman that I have talked to within the program in a long time, and a, and a lot of that comes from his dad who was a college coach. He coached at Texas and now is a scout for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, He's just been around the game for a long time and is definitely a student of the game and breaks down plays post-game. He is wise beyond his years, and and he had such a different element to K-State's offense that they have just been lacking for a long time. A lot of uh, hope on it. I started to worry about the Big 12, I'll be honest with you, Saturday. You know, Oklahoma's picked first in the conference. Oklahoma State second, still unblemished, okay? But I don't know if they're legit for that number two. And three, you had Texas. We almost saw Texas go down as well. So two of the top three almost went down, but number one did go down in this conference. And you know what's going to be a wild. But I like the Spencer Adler at Oklahoma, their quarterback. I think he's going to be a good one for the Sooners. Marvin Mims. That wide receiver, the all-time leading receiver in the state of Texas, stud. So that team was talented. Kansas State, that's that's an about as impressive win as I've seen. The Oklahoma game at home was great, but this happened on the road in unusual circumstances, unusual year. This is a big win. And I was fascinated by the way that they were able to do it on defense, again, because of the personnel issues. But, uh, I mean, I heard Joe Klanerman say today, K-State's defensive coordinator, we had a, a Zoom session with him, and, he said what they tried to do was actually in the first half give Spencer Rattler looks that they thought he would be relatively comfortable with. I would take that to mean looks that they had shown before, all with the purpose of pulling the rug out from under him in the second half and totally switching it up, which seems to me to be a pretty bold strategy because you could get buried in the first half uh, before you have a chance to really do that and pull the switcheroo. But, man, it worked, and they, they clearly got him, pardon the pun, rattled in the second half. A big part of that, too, is just the pass rush that K-State had. I mean, K-State was able to get to him just rushing four, and they were getting to him basically every single play in in the second half, and in particular in the fourth quarter. That's something we haven't seen. K-State's had White Hubert for a while. who's an all-Big 12 talent rushing the passer, but there hasn't been a complimentary piece. And and Khalid Duke, I mean, the talk within the program right now is that he has a higher ceiling than Wyatt Hubert does as just a sophomore now. He's a guy that played receiver in high school, was recruited as a linebacker, and now has turned into just a stud of a defensive end. So uh, there is a lot to like about what K-State did defensively. They came up with four turnovers, a stop on fourth down, and then a block punt. So essentially six turnovers uh, against Oklahoma, and that's what you have to do to beat a team like that. And quickly, final thought, uh, John. Uh, Texas Tech, the opponent this weekend, man, it was a wild game between Texas. I mean, that was fun to watch, that overtime game. Texas Tech gave Texas 
all they wanted, the number eight team in the country. Bowman was fantastic at quarterback. Sir Roderick Thompson, 100 yards. They had 116 yards rushing to go along with that 331 yards passing. Texas Tech's one of those teams. I mean, yeah, defensively, they're giving up the points like we've seen other Texas Tech teams do. But, man, with Bowman, uh, pretty good offense. Yeah, I hate to generalize too much, but really when I look at Texas Tech, it feels to me like the same Texas Tech team that I've seen for the last decade. Yes. Ever since Michael Crabtree and uh, Mike Leach left Lubbock, it feels like this is the team that they roll out every single year. It's an offense with a lot of skill talent and a good enough quarterback and then a defense that leaves a lot to be desired. Um, you know, I mean, there are some nuances within that. I, I think Alan Bowman right now, it seems like at Lubbock, just talking to some people there this week, he's been frustrating to them so far this year. Obviously, he's had the injury issues throughout his entire career. He's thrown four picks already through two games. He's been pretty erratic, uh, well piling up the yards, so I think that's a major concern there. And K-State is third in the country in turnover margin uh, at plus six, so I think that bodes well for uh, K-State's chances in the game. But the thing that's scary is K-State struggled mightily with six foot three receiver Jonathan Adams out of Arkansas State in that week one game. He had three touchdowns. K-State just couldn't stop him. Well, Texas Tech has a six three receiver and then a six six receiver in T.J. Vasher, who's pretty good and has been around for a long time. So and they have guys coming off the bus that look great and should be a handful for K-State secondary. Um, but the good news is, I mean, that defense gave up 63 points to Texas last week. They gave up nearly 600 yards of offense to Houston Baptist. Uh, in week one, and I continue to like to, to repeat this, Houston Baptist literally plays their football games right next to a CBS parking lot. Half of their stadium is a CBS parking lot, and that team rolled up 600 yards of offense on them, so uh, K-State should be able to move the ball. It'll be a tricky game, but uh, I do think K-State will be able to get the win this week. Pick up your medicine. John Kurtz, K-Man, in Manhattan program director, at JL Kurtz on Twitter, host of Faithful Tour Colors podcast on the 435 Podcast Network. Talk to you next week, John. All right, sounds good, Bing. There you go. It's a look at Kansas State. Gary Pinkle, head coach of Missouri Tigers, next. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Rush the Field. And as usual, we talk to uh, Coach Gary Pinkle, the all-time winner at the University of Missouri and the University of Toledo, up for the National College Football Hall of Fame. And he's, he's got a website I recommend you go check out. It's called GP Made. Dot com. He does a lot of things to make a difference in people's lives. And he's got a book that you can still get. It's called The 100-Yard Journey. I've read it. Uh, my friends, family have read the book. And there's a link right there to add it to your card. Gary Pinkle, 100-Yard Journey, written by Dave Matter, and the forward by Nick Saban. Coach, uh, good evening. Good evening. How you doing, bud? Hey, you know what, Coach? I'll be honest with you. We've had college football kind of trickling in and I'll be honest with you. I enjoyed all the games. I even watched those high school games that ESPN was showing, and I enjoy. I just enjoy watching football, and it, it felt real last Saturday because all the teams I cover with KU and K State, and then Missouri finally played. I don't know about you, but you know, it, it kind of felt like back to normal a little bit. Yeah, you kind of felt like you were back. You know, here we go. You know, we got a bunch of games going on. In the leagues, obviously, in the SEC and the Big 12, which we care most about, about for the most part. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a good week, and it was, uh, you know, here college football goes. I mean, the, the only bad thing about the SEC is they got to beat up on each other. You know, they're, oh, they yeah. play no non-conference games. And the, and, the, and, the, and the league is brutal. You know, we get thrown, you know, two of the <laughs> best teams in the country. Yeah. 
and just played one of them, Alabama, and then we, you know, we got LSU coming up here after Tennessee. So, I mean, it's 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 that's that's incredible. But uh, anyway, we did a lot of good things, and uh, you know, then you know, obviously the Chiefs play a little bit later, and they did awesome. And so, uh, but I'm like you, I kind of feel like we're we're back in the saddle a little bit now. The horse isn't going full speed, but at least we're in the saddle. Yeah, coach, we've seen a lot of different uh, sports through this pandemic as we slowly got them coming back. I've enjoyed watching NASCAR. I've really enjoyed watching golf. And you know what? The fans not being at those events didn't really bother me, to be honest with you. I don't – it's not one of those things that I get into the the, the crowd of the fans because you can't hear them on NASCAR, and I don't really pay attention to them in golf. In baseball, I thought I'd be affected by it more. I think more in the postseason because you don't have that late-inning drama with the fans. Uh, the NFL I've gotten used to with a few fans here and there. But college football, to me, is the one that I miss them the most. I mean, sure, there's there stadiums that do allow fans, but to me, there was nothing better than college football pageantry, than the tailgating, uh, the alumni coming back, you know, the, the songs, the, the fans would sing, the, the intros between the third and the fourth quarter. And uh, that's the one sport to me that really needs fans back. And, and, mo- and maybe uh, one of the best groups that make us different than other groups against professional teams is we got students, we got student yeah. body, we got a bunch of you know we bunch of college kids, they're just as into it as, as anything, and and you know great fans, and so the combination of all that, that's what makes college football different than the NFL. I'm not saying one's better than the other, I think both are awesome, but college football is very unique because we have a, a, a range of people of all ages that that are at games and they love it, and uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. And I'm, I'm like you, I'm, it's nice to. Wake up Saturdays here, game times here. Uh, here we go. Yeah, I'm like that too. And you, you mentioned, uh, you know, Missouri with the draw of getting Alabama in LSU. This it, is a different year. I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, you were never a guy that made excuses. I went down to enough of your post game shows after games, win or lose, you were the same guy because uh, you, you didn't really show flinching and you, you never made excuses. I, I'm not a guy in my life that makes excuses either, but I will say, that is a tough draw. It's not an excuse to say, hey, we're playing Alabama in week one. I, I just think it's fact. You're playing a team loaded with NFL talent, and as coached, well coaches they are with Nick Saban, that, that's a tough draw in week one. Yeah, there's no question. And the other thing, too, I think that our fans have to understand a little bit, too. And, you know, we're all responsible. There's no, there's no, you don't get a free pass saying, well, you played one of the best teams in the country. No one's looking for that. But, uh, I don't know of any coach. Uh, uh, there's been any, any new coach last year that came into college football. Uh, for example, we had uh, Coach Drinkwitz in, their, in our in our team had two spring practices. People have to understand when, when you have that first spring, you have 15 practices. At the end of those 15 practices, which takes probably about uh, three and a half weeks before that, four weeks before it's over because they're distributed. At the end of that time, you have all the players all the players in the right positions. You probably move them around because you, you just have to see them play and you have to see how can we get all our players to top 11 on, on offense and defense and next 11 on offense and defense and next. And let's move this guy over here because he can, he can play better. Than that, than that. So and you have two practices. You, 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 have, you barely have a glimpse of, of, of the talent you have and where it should go. And that's probably, you know, that's, that's remarkably difficult. And then all of a sudden, 
we get back and, you know, we're having practices in August. But normally when that spring ball is over, you're at the same position. You're going to stay there through, through the summer, through uh, August and preparation and the whole football season and maybe stay there the rest of your career. And Eli's got none of that. They're guessing at a lot of these guys. Well, I think this guy can do this. I think they can do that. And, you know, there's no free passes. Never has been. Never will be. But, uh, you know, and then they throw the schedule at us, you know, and they take, they give us Alabama and LSU. Um, we're playing with the best teams in the country. Uh, but people have to understand it's it's been really, really difficult for him to get this team uh, going and organized like he wants it to in an efficient way of personnel and such. And uh, uh, so I think everybody's got to give him a little break in regards to that. Absolutely. And I think Coach Drinkwitz and other coaches around the country, especially Coach Drinkwitz being the first year of Missouri, you know, I think in 20, 30 years, they'll look back at 2020. Think about all the challenges they face. Listen, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And there's no question these coaches are getting stronger, not only dealing, you know, with, with what they are with the schedule, but this COVID that just, just hits and the, like the Titans, they had to cancel their game with the Steelers and, you don't know who's playing. I know Coach Drinkwitz said this week uh, when he was talking to uh, the reporters, he has no idea what's going on with other teams from week to week. It's kind of a free-for-all, he said. And Gus Malzahn kind of backed it up, said he would be in favor of such a policy uh, about announcing COVID. But the thing is, it's college football, and there's privacy acts with these kids. So it's a, it's a delicate balance. I think half the Power 5 says it. I mean, it's a delicate balance because you're dealing with privacy matters of individuals, whether you you have this or not. But, you know, fans and the other coaches, look, has he got a bad leg, a bum knee, or has he got COVID? Why is he out? But this is a crazy situation. Yeah, it really is. And, and that's another point, too, is all of a sudden you're three weeks ago, you're, you have your offensive line, or all of them have got COVID. Maybe two, three players get hurt. You're trying to move them around. So, that, again, the preparation is, is, is nothing uh, uh, compared to what a normal year is. There's nothing, nothing normal about this at all. And uh, so that's that. But at the end of the day, you work through it like he is. You stay positive um, and be demanding, which which I'm sure is him and the staff are. They you got a lot of good coaches, and uh, just keep working hard to get better. And at the end of the day, eventually, uh, we'll get to where we want to get to. Well, I thought there were some positives to take away uh, from that game. Obviously, Alabama, a lot of those players used to playing with each other in the coaching staff. You know, Coach Saban and his staff that's pretty loyal. Uh, about staying around with him. But now Tennessee on the road. Tennessee's a team that, you know, started to improve last year. They're off to a 1-0 start this year. But you know what? In, in the SEC, this is this is a good challenge for them on the road was when Pinkle goes on the – or not <laughs> – I just said you. When Coach Drinkwitz goes on the road for the first time against Tennessee. Yeah, we had some games there. We had a four overtime there one time. That's a big stadium. Uh, a long, long time ago. We had – we have had it's a, it's a great stadium. It's a great environment. It's on a river there. The stadium is. The difference for us is, and which is, is happening all across the country in NFL and college football, is you know this great student body that you have. There's all these great fans you have. You know most can't come, and so you know there's really not a real. I don't think there's a real advantage from a from a, a, a playing and preparation standpoint having to deal with all the noise and all mm-hmm. the all the other things that are going on. And that's a plus certainly for for us. Um, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a good challenge for us. And the big thing is you just, you got to be positive. You get just, just keep working as hard as you can to improve and get better. And they're certainly looking at personnel. They're evaluating it every week and, 
uh, at the end of every week, they're they're looking to see can they can we move somebody somewhere possibly and and, and get more of the right players in the right spots. You can't do it a lot because of because of the uh, how much you have to learn to play. But uh, at the end of the day, we're going to work hard. Uh, we're going to be in a position to, to play a good team. But uh, I think this is going to be a little bit more revealing kind of who we are. Alabama's one of the best teams in the nation and uh, better than probably 99% of the teams that are in the nation. And so this one's going to be a little bit more, it's going to really show a little bit more kind of where we're at at this stage. Coach, these stadiums are uh, cathedrals in the SEC. I, I I was going down to Birmingham when you were, when you were coaching Missouri, you know, I'd interview you down there and cover Missouri when you guys were in the SEC. And, you know, I'd take time to, you know, I, I would drive down there. I'd take time to go visit Tuscaloosa, see the stadium. I drove the old Miss um, to go down Archie Manning Way to see the stadium. I'm blown away with just uh, how fun it is, the environment in these stadiums. Heck, there's an extra lane built from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa for game days <laughs> because, yeah, they get people in and out. And, like, during the week, it's not even that busy. But was is there a favorite place outside of Mizzou that you enjoyed going to in that conference? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I think you like going to places, you know, as long as you're, as long as you have a winning experience, I think that's what you're really enjoying a little bit more. So, uh, you know, we've had some good wins, some good road wins at Texas A&M. Uh, we've been at Tennessee and there. I mean, I, I can't go through them all on this year, but, yeah. you know, certainly they're, they're, it's, it's some great environments. And one thing I told our fans is that, uh, and I really firmly believe this, and I think, you know, we're getting better and, but there's a difference between being Power Five fans around the nation, and there's a difference being SEC fans. SEC fans are a whole different level. And the Big 12 and all those other Power Five, you get upset when I say this, but there's no fans like the SEC fans. And certainly we want, we want our fans to be the same way at that highest level, and at times we certainly have been. And, uh, but it's almost a responsibility. You know, I, I, I wish to told our fans this too, that, there's a responsibility that we got to go play and we got to win and we got to win on the road and we got to win at home. But the, the, the responsibility that, that their great fans have is you show up, you, you get on trips and you go, you fill our stadium up, all those things when, it's, when, it, when you can. Yeah. And obviously with COVID, you can't do that right now. But, uh, you know, being, being, a, being an FCC fan and being a part of it is a responsibility not only for the players, but it's a responsibility for our fan base too. I think it's a great point. I mean, I, I enjoyed going down and just kind of walking through the parking lots before Mizzou games and seeing all the fans that would come up from other places and Mizzou fans were doing it too. But it's a lifestyle there. I, I know that that you know the fans in the SEC they all got the RVs and they travel for game days and that's their thing, Coach. No, a lot of not a lot of non-pro sports teams in a lot of those states. And man, Saturday is the day in the South. College football is king in that conference. Yeah, I've been thinking a little bit about it, as you, as you said, because I don't, I don't really go back and look at stuff very often. I get criticized for that. But uh, I remember we beat Florida at Florida. We played playing down there, and uh, we had a big, big win down there. We had a big win in 2013 mm-hmm. at Georgia. Uh, one of great, one, I think one of the great, you know, one of our great big, big wins in the SEC that really allowed us to end up winning a divisional championship and playing the championship game. I think we ended up fifth in the nation that year in 13. And uh, but we had a big win against Georgia, and it was really fun to, and, you know. So we we've had some big wins at some big stadiums, and you take pride in that. And you know, my big thing: if you're a good football team, you can win anywhere. I, I really believe that. The only difference right now is is, is those great great stadiums of those great great fans, great fans 
don't exist right now. It's just a small group. And honestly, that probably gives you a little bit better chance from an offensive standpoint. For example, running our offense we're in a stadium of 110,000 people, uh, it is, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, you have to communicate. You have to deal with all that noise and emotion and everything. And guess what? Every game's a home game. Every game's a home game. So the good news on our part, we don't have to experience that now. We're going to eventually have to do it later, hopefully when the numbers come back. Um, but uh, we don't really have to do that now in order to our opponents. It's just kind of the way it is. It's the way in the NFL and everything else. Coach, I'm glad you brought up that Georgia game. This is a final question for you. I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's that's one of those wins I look as kind of one of your marquee games. 2000, uh, the year before, Georgia had come in for the first SEC game and beat Missouri and Columbia. But that game there yeah. got you on a roll all the way to the SEC title game. And I think it put Missouri on the map that, hey, we belong in this conference. We'll go win everywhere. And to me, that was a marquee win. When Missouri, I know that the you know, rivalries now, Arkansas, Missouri, whatever. But to me, I, I don't know how you looked at it. It's how I looked at it, that, that, that Georgia was always that kind of rivalry between Missouri because they, they were big games. And, you know, it was, it was like we want to show her one of the big dogs against the big dogs. And I thought that was a marquee win. Mention my book, uh, Hundred Yard Journey, mm-hmm. and I got to say this: is my, if you saw it, you've seen my book before. It has a picture of me on the front of it with my visor. That's kind of, I mean, I never wore a visor for that reason, but it just kind of stuck with me and yeah. me being a coach at Mizzou. And then it has on the on the bottom, it has Nick Saban, kind of real small, and it says Ford by Nick Saban. Nick Saban, not for all the people out there, we play college football together at Kent State, mm-hmm. so we're good friends. And what a remarkable coach he is. And then they have Gary Pinkle up the top of the book, over top of where my head is, and it's about an inch and a half. They're really big. It's, you know, you really see Gary Pinkle. So I had a bunch of my my my, my boys. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before. My boys come over. We were somewhere right after the book came out, and and my my one of my sons. They was all they, they all did this together though. They all, there's, there's this undercover stuff to, to get me. <laughs> so they come up to me and they said, Dad, we look at the cover of this book. We think it's really awesome. We know how we think you can make more money. And I'm looking at them, what are you guys talking about? So, I, well, how can I make more money? He said, well, if you put Gary Pinkle down on the bottom, kind of tiny, and you put Nick Saban up on the top real big, <laughs> you'll sell a lot more books. <laughs> <laughs> how about your own kid's dog, your own kid's dogging you? Yeah, yeah you confuse people, too. People buy it. Like, this is about Gary Pinkle. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. I never heard that story before. Uh, Coach, hope you're feeling yeah. well. I hope everything's going well. Hope you're really enjoying your falls now that you can kick back and relax. And I enjoy these conversations each week. So thanks a ton. Hey, go Mizzou, go Chiefs. Coach Pinkle, thank you very much. All-time winner at Missouri and Toledo. Coming up next, we'll head to uh, we'll look at Lawrence, but we'll head to somebody in Kansas City, Alex Gold. Cody Gold, 10-2, also waving the wheat podcast. Here we'll talk to Alex about Kansas next. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Rush the Field. Time to look at the Kansas Jayhawks. I tried to time this thing out for Alex at halftime of Thursday night football, but slow going, terrible turf, it looks like, in New York once again. But you hear Alex Gold daily, 10 to 2 on Cody and Gold. Make sure you go check out that Sammy Watkins uh, interview they had yesterday on demand. It's great stuff. And he does the Waving the Wheat podcast where he sits and waves his wheat literally at night, every night. He, like, waves his wheat. Alex Gold. Alex, good evening. 
<laughs> What's going on, Vic? I appreciate you timing out the halftime for me. We I try, like man. Four, four quarterbacks in this game tonight uh, between the Broncos and Jets. It's um, I, I referenced this game earlier when Serta picked this game for the Jets. I had told Speck, I said, here's the deal. You can say chaos with both those teams. With, with, with the Broncos, I can at least say it's organized chaos. With the Jets, it's just chaos. Uh, but yeah. That's kind of how I describe it. But let's look at the Kansas Jayhawks uh, this weekend. I, I was, uh, I've been, you know, I watch all the local teams intently. I like the way that Kansas started this game. Matter of fact, their star, uh, Puka Williams, scored the first touchdown in this game and the last for Kansas, but he did score the first overall touchdown against Baylor. New starting quarterback in Jalen Daniels. Uh, and the team sounded excited about it. They even put him on their Twitter account that that's their starting quarterback tonight. But overall impressions on Jalen, 19-33 for 159. It was refreshing. I think, you know, Baker, it was, it was something we hadn't seen before. And, and he's going to make his mistakes. And he, he certainly made, made a couple of mistakes in, in the game against Baylor. But the arm strength, number one, the, I think, dynamic ability that he has, the also – clear, uh, you know, I guess, composure, I would say, at times in the pocket against uh, a Baylor team that had their way with the KU offensive line when he was getting hit, and he got hit plenty, the Jalen Daniels against the Baylor Bears, but he popped right up, and you know, that arm strength is, is one thing we just hadn't seen from a Kansas quarterback just in terms of you know, so effortlessly throwing the football, and so it was refreshing, and you know, it sounds like Thomas McVitie would have been the guy to go last week if he was healthy. But I like to see that it looks like they're going to give Jalen Daniel is an opportunity here to see if they can't build on that. And I think it's probably the right decision considering his mobility bank because this offensive line for Kansas has been terrible with pass protection. Well, the one thing they need some consistency um, at quarterback. And with McVitie, you're looking at a, a senior quarterback, even though we have that extra year of eligibility. But with a guy like Jalen, you might as well see what he's got and go as long as you can. You're talking about a freshman there, and you just like to see, uh, you know, what he does. I'd give him a few more weeks, to be quite honest with you, Alex. I mean, we're talking about a team that's not going to the college football playoffs. Uh, who knows if they make a bowl game because there's no restrictions on it this year. Uh, yeah. I, I would hope not, but they, you never know. Um, but anyway, I mean, he's he's a guy that uh, I think they should give a, a, a longer look at because he showed some flashes in that game that, that I think he could be excited about. It's, it's someone that you have a chance to develop, and someone that you have a chance. That, and you mentioned with the Ellis rules this year, it's kind of a free year, if you are, if you will, for Kansas and for Jalen Daniels. And one way or the other, I think I told you a couple weeks ago with however they're going to play with their their quarterback position, just settle in on one guy at some point in time. If you believe Thomas McVitie was the best guy for you to have a chance to win this season, then I was okay with that. But he didn't have an opportunity to play last week because he was hurt. Jalen Daniels stepped up, and, and I know they only scored 14 points on offense, and, and yeah. so there was a lot of misses, and yet the miss, the miss throw to Andrew Parchment would have been a touchdown for the Kansas Jayhawks. But still, okay, if you're going to go with Daniels, it's fine, but you, you got to roll with him past this week as well. Pretty much no matter how he looks, you need to be willing to settle in with him for the next, at minimum, couple of weeks, if not the entire season, if that's the route they decide to go. And, and you know, on Saturday against Oklahoma State, is he able to give you a chance to be competitive in that game? They're significant underdogs, obviously, and it's homecoming weekend, Bank, and there's actually going to be fans in the stands. You know what? The one guy that uh, I kind of feel bad for at this point is Puka Williams. You know, 76 yards, two touchdowns. Um, he, he, was, he caught three passes out of the backfield. And, you know, it, it, this is a dynamic running back, and it's like one of those generational – I'm not saying generous, but – Best running back you're going to get in a five to yeah. seven year span, maybe even 10 years. Maybe he's the best running back there in a decade. And clearly you can make an argument talent wise. He is. And it just, it almost feels like when Kansas gets down to these big deficits, he becomes 
not as useful. I mean, if Kansas has a lead, they can salt it away running puka, puka, puka. But to me, he hasn't got that chance to shine because defensively they're still getting up a lot of points. No question. I mean, he is their most explosive playmaker. And, you know, they've been fortunate enough, you know, at one point in time, uh, you know, an offseason or so ago, people wondered if, if he would stay, you know, with Kansas because of the talent that he has. And, and, and certainly they, they've seen the playmaking ability. And he was very good against Baylor. But you're right, he kind of gets taken out of the game when you, you get that kind of deficit. You know, and you brought up the defense there. That's been, honestly, you know, besides just trying to figure out quarterback, the biggest problem for this team right now is, is defensively. They are one of, like, three teams, Bink, that have – already played two games and have not created a single takeaway. So they're not turning their opponents over. They're giving up around 42.5 points per game so far in, in the two games. And so they're still going into a, their third game of the season, and they haven't turned their opponent over whatsoever. I mean, that's something that obviously has to change this weekend against Oklahoma State. And, and then third downs. It seems simple, but third downs, their opponents have been uh, converting like crazy on them, like 55% of the time. In fact, Baylor, if you watched that game last week and, and – Bravo to you if you if you held in there and watched till the end there, big. <laughs> you know they went. I don't have a life. <laughs> they went three and out twice on ten offensive possessions, but they also were able to you know extend them on eight of their fifteen third down plays. So I mean, third downs is a big problem for this KU defense. You know what you, you mentioned, Oklahoma State, and you know this conference has been up and down. We know the zero and three start they had against the Sun Belt uh, with Kansas, Kansas State, and uh, Iowa State. Losing those teams. We saw some progression. Iowa State beats TCU. We definitely saw progression in Kansas State having their first top five road win ever. We didn't quite see it against Kansas. But we saw the number one preseason team go down in Oklahoma. Almost saw the number three preseason team in Texas go down because Texas Tech gave them everything they wanted. But Oklahoma State was the third-ranked team, or excuse me, the second-ranked team in the preseason rankings. And this should be a test, really, <laughs> to be honest with you, there's a couple of the high-profile running backs in the country with Chuba Hubbard Uh-oh. and Puka. Yeah, they both should be able to hopefully put on a show. At least should be able to at least be able to enjoy that, depending on how competitive this game is. There's no doubt. I, I've actually been, I don't know about you, being underwhelmed with Oklahoma State through the first couple. Me of games too. For them, they had, you know, they had the win against West Virginia last night, or not last week, I should say, and then they opened up the season and, and were fortunate, honestly, to get by Tulsa. Uh, they only scored 16 points against the Tulsa team. And I think that's what we're just seeing a lot, too, throughout college football. Maybe it gets better in week three, whether it's the upsets, whether it's poor performances, and just with the weird offseason. And also, a lot of teams are playing undermanned because of COVID yep. and the weird protocols and everything like that. And so I think that's what we've seen. And unfortunately for Kansas, this might be the week that, that Oklahoma State kind of gets rolling and looks like the top 25 team that they've been ranked all year. Alex, I'll let you answer this as your last question. You know, when I've been in sitting in with you, I've been an advocate of extending the college football playoffs. Um, They met this week, the college football playoff committee, and said no. And by the way, the Jets just kicked a field goal, so it's going to be 17-13 to at halftime, Alex. But they're not going to expand it to eight. I think they're making a major mistake because we've seen the flexibility in the other leagues, especially baseball, adding the three playoff teams on each side. I think they're making a monumental mistake in this year, in this situation, not to at least go to eight. I'm with you there. And I think what happened to the Pac-12, I believe, was the conference that kind of pushed that thing forward. And I think I wonder, you know, if it was the, the Big Ten or the SEC or the Big 12 or the ACC that kind of had more momentum behind it, if that would have maybe made it to where this was a reality this year. And so it's unfortunate. I would have been fine with it this year. I, don't, I think long-term I wanted an eight. And if you were to tell me this year they would have expanded to 12, I would have been okay. I'm not, I'm not someone that believes we need to have 12 or 16 long-term. 
but absolutely it should be eight, and this year would have been the perfect year to go ahead and do it and then make that a permanent thing going forward. So that is absolutely disappointing, especially since we now know the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and just about everybody's going to end up playing by the time we get to the end of October, early November. Yeah, but we got teams playing six games, seven games, nine games, ten games. Good luck, committee. Sitting in that room, actually, they're not going to be in there. They'll probably be doing it on Zoom or something. In the pick the top four teams, it's going to be – uh, impossible to do, and it's uh, made me upset. Alex Gold at Alex Gold on Twitter, of course, hearing him every day. 10 to 2, Cody and Gold, Waving the Week Podcast, 435 Podcast Network for Kansas fans. Thanks a lot, Alex. You got it, man. Enjoy halftime. <laughs> Bye. It's halftime. Time to write. He gets to go sit and grab a beer, you know? Big thanks to Gary Pinkle for joining us, John Kurtz, Alex Gold. Great job producing. By Julio Sanchez. Good night, everybody. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio.